Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning to all of you at 95th, those of you at Bolingbrook, Wheaton, Hobson. And it's true, in two weeks, it's Easter. Easter gives us such a unique opportunity to do what we're talking about in this series, and that is evangelism. You know, people are inclined to come to church on Easter when they're not inclined or unwilling uh, the rest of the year. And so we always seek to maximize the evangelistic, the invitational potential that Easter affords us. And we've got a little tool to help you do it well this year. We, this is what I would call an invitation card. And actually, as you leave at all of your campuses out in the atrium, you'll find, uh, sitting on tables, a bunch of these extension cords stapled to an invitation card. We have one for every single one of you. But not really for you, right? You know, you give it to somebody else is the idea. And you say, an extension cord? What's going on there? Well, uh, imagery of the extension cord is going to be throughout our Easter services because we're talking about power. Power. There's a passage in Ephesians that says that I hope you understand the power available to you. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And so that's why. So here's what's so fun. When you say, hey, I wanted to invite you, give you an invitation to our Easter service. Uh, An extension cord is just practical enough that people will say, well, thank you. I could always use another extension cord. They will keep it and use it. And it's just weird enough that they will say, why are you giving me an extension cord? And they will look at the card, trying to figure out what it means and how it connects to Easter. And maybe, just maybe, they will be intrigued by the concept and wonder if there's a way they could benefit and come. And so, friends, God's going to use you as you give this to a neighbor, family member, friend, coworker. Now, there are two ways to give it away. I'll just give you some advice. There's the courageous way, and that's where you walk up to a neighbor and you say, hey, I'd like to give you a little gift, an invitation to our church's Easter service. Here you go. Then there's the coward approach. And that is when you walk down the street and when no one's looking, you throw it at their front door. You know, boom, and it drops there on their porch. And they'll find it and they may come. And so the coward approach can work well. I don't care really which approach you use. Just find a way to get this into the hands of somebody and see what God will do with it. All right. Easter. And yes, we are growing as a people in our passion to see folks far from God discover new life in Christ. That's what Pearl is all about, right? Jesus said that when you find life with God, it's like you're so blessed that you feel like that pearl merchant who's been dreaming your whole life about that incredible pearl, and now you've found it. It's yours. But rather than just saying, I found it and I could care less about you, we, we realize, no, i got to have a heart. If I'm delighted in what I've got, i got to help others find so they can be delighted too. And evangelism, helping people find God, scares us to death. And so I've delighted in seeing the simplicity of Jesus' strategy. We, we feel like we can't do it until we see the five points found in Pearl that Jesus lays out, and we're like, oh, I can do that. In fact, let's test. You know, we're, we're in week four now. Let's see if you've done well. Can we put the, the five points up? No, you know what? Take it away. Let's see. You don't even need these, do you? 
I bet you can remember the five words. And so uh, when I point to you, that's a cue that you are to say the word, if you can remember it. So let's start with P, shall we? P stands for? Ray. Nice job. E stands for? Nice job. A stands for? Bravo. You guys are doing better than I thought you would. Now, there are two that we haven't done so far, so let's see how you do here. Here's where it gets tough. Let's go to the R. Ready? R stands for? And L stands for? Nice work, people. I can't believe how well you've done. All right. Can I have you put up? Thanks. Pray, pray is where Jesus said, listen, this harvest of souls is so important that we've got to be praying. And I, you know, I've got the pearl in my pocket. In a week, I'll be glad to get rid of this thing. To be honest, it's getting a little old right now. But every time, it's reminding me to pray as Jesus called us to pray. And the more I pray for people far from God, the more I care about people far from God. E, stay, Can we go back? E is eat. Jesus taught us that we are to enjoy uh, getting around a table and sharing meals with people, that God created this three-time-a-day event to be a chance to bond. Christ said it's a great chance to bond with people far from God. So Jesus was known to eat with those who were sinners. He was the friend of sinners. That was his nickname, if you will, and ours should be likewise. You still have one more week to fulfill the challenge to make one invitation within the time of this series, one invitation to dine with someone who is far from God. I wonder if you have. Ask. This is what we learned about last week. Ask is this, okay, but now that we're around a table, what do we talk about? Christians tend to want to tell people how it is. You're so lucky to be around the table because now I have to tell you a whole bunch of stuff. How about instead of us telling, we ask them to tell us their story, their heart. And Jesus did that. Jesus was a master question asker. And we honor people when we reach out with questions uh, starting off. This week we're talking about reveal. Reveal your story. And then next week will be about love. Love them in tangible ways. Love them with the very love of the Father. I love this grand finale of the series because there is no sweeter love than this love from another world, the love of God. And we can be conduits of that love, giving people a little taste of the divine love coming to them through us. We're going to learn how to do that. But now, week four is reveal your story. Oh, the power of story. Do you think story is a child's play? No, 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 no. Story is powerful. I was uh, just realizing the power of story again Friday night. We had some folks from church over to our house for dinner. We're sitting around the table laughing, telling stories. And this lady goes, Jeff, that reminds me of what happened to you back when you were a young man. And she starts telling this event, and I'm like, I interrupted her. How did you know that happened to me? And she said, well, you shared that in a sermon. And I wanted to say, no, I did not, because I have absolutely no recollection of ever telling that story. But clearly I did, because she knew the details of it. So the fact that I don't remember it tells me it must have been years ago. 
And the fact that she still remembers the details of it blows me away. The, the power of story. So I see this all the time as people say, Jeff, remember when you said, or remember? People, stories are powerful in part because they're memorable. They stick with us. There's, there's another reason, though. Stories are powerful because they're captivating. You know, if you blah, 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 just tell people facts or things or principles, they won't be as captivated as they will with a story. I, I see that on display as I preach. You know, I, uh, no offense, but you all drift on me. You know, I will be explaining something. That's the advantage of you at 95th and at uh, Bolingbrook. I can't see when you're sleeping. But at Hobson, I see him sleeping right in front of me. And then all I have to do is say, you won't believe what happened this week. And they wake up, and they're, boom, you're with me once again. There is a captivating power of story. My uh, junior hire tells me, Dad, it was a decent sermon, but you bored me. Not enough story. And I understand what she's getting at. There is something riveting about story. One more power of story, and that is uh, story is stirring. Don't, Don't think of story as just entertainment. No, no, no. Story is serious business. It stirs the heart. It takes theological, deep theological principle and stirs it into the heart. That's why Jesus did it so much. Jesus wasn't being shallow by telling parables. Jesus was being deep by clothing principle in story because he knew then that principle would go deep. Sometimes I have been criticized by some that I want a pastor who gets deep, you know, into the word. You're a storyteller. No, I tell stories not to entertain, but convinced that it drives the truth into the heart. And so story is powerful and you've got a story no one else has. And it's powerful. Now you're going to argue with me on that point. You may say, my story's boring. We all feel that way about our story. But friends, it's not boring. It's real. It's a real person, a real precious person who encounters a real God. And any time a precious person is transformed by a real God, you've got the makings of a great story. And so tell it. Reveal it. Share it. Jesus is going to challenge us towards that end in the passage we're about to study. If you're inclined to read along in the Bible provided, you'll find it on page 1006. It's out of Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him interesting dynamic, and I'm excited to study it with you. Let's start by highlighting the boat. Why was Jesus getting into a boat? Well, I'll tell you why. He's leaving to go back to Capernaum, his, his uh, headquarters. That's the city on the west side of the lake where he lived. He's getting into the boat because to get where he's presently at, he had to come by boat. Now he's returning by boat. He's actually on the east side of the lake. You would assume that all the peoples around the Sea of Galilee were roughly the same. Not so. On the east side, you had all, on the west side, you had all the Jewish people. On the east side, you had Gentiles, Greeks. In fact, the area is called the Decapolis. Decapolis means the ten cities. There was a cluster of ten Greek, Gentile, anti-Jewish cities. 
These had been Greeks since the days that Alexander the Great conquered the region. And one of the ten cities sat right on the Sea uh, of Galilee. Let me, let me show you a picture of it. Uh, this is called Susita. Do you see the Sea of Galilee down here? Well, this huge hill rises right from the shore, and this flat top is where the city of Susita existed. Today, it's all archaeological ruins. I had the privilege of spending an afternoon wandering up there all by myself. I was the only one for that whole afternoon exploring this ancient city, thinking about this text, because the guy in this text came from this city. He's from the Decapolis, and he's right by the lake, so this would have been the place. Just a little interesting note. Jesus, when teaching from the other side of the lake, talked about a city on a hill that's lit up in the dark night sky. And we are to be like a city on a hill and lit up in the darkness. He was probably pointing to this city, which was in clear view from where they were, glowing at night. So this is where this Greek Gentile world is where this guy was. Let's go back to our text. There's the boat. Now let's highlight this. The man who had been demon-possessed. De- let's highlight this. The man who, there we go. The man who had been demon-possessed. What's up with this guy? Well, to say that he was demon-possessed is an understatement. He had many evil spirits, which are actually angels gone bad in him, in his body, and wreaking havoc. Check this out. The Bible says the guy was so deranged, that he was naked, wandering around outside, living out of doors in caves and tombs, uh, dirty, unbathed, unkept, cutting himself. He was so miserable, he was self-injuring, crying out during day, screaming at night in emotional anguish. And when Jesus arrives on that shore, the very first person he meets is this crazy guy. Jesus recognizes the problem, and there is a conflict, a contest of powers, and Jesus wins. The power of Christ casts out all of the demons plaguing this young man. Demons seem to desire to dwell in a host, because upon leaving this guy, they all went into a herd of pigs that were in the area. These pigs now, you know, possessed by an evil spirit, go berserk, run down the hill, straight into the lake, and they all drowned. This odd phenomenon of a whole herd of pigs suddenly dying reaches the town that you just saw. They come down the hill wanting to see what's happened, and to their astonishment, they see the crazy guy now fully dressed, cleaned up, sitting there with Jesus, having a sophisticated conversation about spiritual matters. And they were blown away. And this man now loved Jesus above all else. We, we see that when it, we see that. It's high like this. Begged to go with him. This guy's like, Jesus, I want to be where you are. I want to get in the boat with you. I want to be by your side. He loved Jesus. Oddly enough, Jesus said, no, let's highlight this. Jesus did not let him. Why? Well, don't misunderstand that. Jesus was not saying you can't be a Christian. Of course he wants him to be a follower of his. But Jesus is saying, you shouldn't get in the boat and go with us back to the Jewish area. You're a Gentile. For you to leave and to go minister with us among the Jews doesn't make kingdom sense strategically. Jesus says, I have a different assignment for you. What is it? 
Next verse. Verse 19 continues. Jesus said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Jesus says, buddy, your assignment is to be a missionary among the Decapolis, the the Greeks, the Gentiles. Friends, uh, let's highlight that. Go to your own people. Nobody could reach these people better than one of their own. And Jesus understood that. And so this guy became the first missionary to Gentiles. Do you realize that? Prior to this, Christ's ministry had been all about reaching the Jews with this good news of the kingdom. For the first time, Jesus has sent someone to Gentiles. How did ministry of the gospel go among Gentiles? (laughs) Unbelievably, even in the days of Scripture, it's it's ironic that this Jewish religion just exploded among non-Jews. But that's what happened. And this guy is the first missionary to Gentiles. Now you say, isn't the apostle Paul the apostle to the Gentiles? Yes, Paul did incredible work among the Gentiles, but he wasn't the first. This guy was the first. And we are indebted to the gospel ministry to Gentiles that this guy originated. Most of us are Gentiles, and we are benefiting from receiving this great message of Jesus Christ. Praise God, this guy did what he did. And Jesus didn't just send him, Jesus sent him with a strategy. What's the strategy? Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. What what does that mean? Reveal your story. There it is. Jesus didn't send him to pass out gospel tracts. Jesus didn't send him to be a street preacher. He sent him to be a storyteller. Go tell your story. Uh, The guy, the story is how much he's done for you. What has Jesus done for you? Here, I want to challenge everybody to write your own story as homework for this message. I apologize, but this is the sermon with homework. You wouldn't have come had you known that. But uh, now I'm telling you, I challenge you this week. You don't have to, but I hope you rise to the challenge and say, you know what, I'm going to write my story. Real short, what would your story entail? What Jesus has done for you. There's the guidance. And that will require a before and after motif. This guy, telling what Jesus had done for him, would have to start with the before Jesus. You remember me? I was the naked crazy guy running around town. You may recall. It didn't look like this, but that was me. I was demon-possessed. My relational world was a disaster. I was without any friends or family. My financial world was a disaster. I was homeless. My emotional world was a disaster. I was miserable, screaming night and day, hurting myself. And then I found Jesus. And now I have found a forgiveness of sin, a newness of life, a joy before and after. And you can do the same. Here's what I was like before. Here's how I met Jesus. And here's what Jesus has done in my life. That's what this guy did. Oh, and one more thing. Let's highlight this. Jesus said, tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Mercy. This is central to the gospel message. Mercy means you are a sinner and you're receiving something you have no business receiving. It's really closely associated with the concept of grace. 
this guy received two things. One, the Lord healed him of his demonic possession, but the Lord had taught him and given him mercy. As Jesus had sat dialoguing with Jesus, he learned about the mercy God had come to bring to sinners, the the forgiveness that was theirs. And uh, we should do the same. As you share your story, if it comes across that you somehow deserve this new life Jesus has given, then you've made a mistake. you got to say, no, no, it's all mercy. <laughs> I was undeserving. I was a sinner. I was rebelling from God. And I didn't do anything to deserve it. He in his grace, you know, the cross, you can point to the cross. Jesus died on the cross for me. He took my place. And I'm forgiven because he died for me. See that? Your story, the message of mercy and grace infused in it. All right. Well, did the guy do it? Jesus commands him to go and do this thing. Let's take a look. It says in verse 20, So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So let's highlight this. Tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. The guy went to his mission field. And what did he do? He told how much Jesus had done for him. He obeyed, and he told his story. Did it have effect? Let's highlight this. All the people were amazed. That's the effect that telling story has. Had the guy gone, had the guy gone and said, I want to preach to you about these theological truths about Jesus Christ, people would have said, I disagree with you. But they can't disagree with your story, can they? They can't say, oh, that's not true. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Look at me. I'm telling you, this is my story. And they can't argue with story. They can only be amazed at it. It's powerful, friends. And we need to tell them. So let's go back to your homework, shall we? We need to follow this guy's example, and let's tell our story. So here's the challenge. I want to give you some very specific guidance in writing your story in preparation for sharing your story, all right? Go to your computer or your piece of paper, your notebook, whatever you use. Here's the guidance. Be brief. Some of you, you know, you could fill page after page. Write your, you know, 300-page biography at some point. That's great. But don't do that now. Let's make this a very brief, painfully concise. In fact, I challenge you to do it in 100 words or less. That's a story that you could share in one minute if telling with someone. The great thing about having it down to 100 words or less is that if you have opportunity to expand, you can use an expanded version. But if that's all you've got, you've thought about how to be concise with your story. Uh, So 100 words or less, be precise. Here's another piece of guidance. Be simple. Don't Some of you love to write and have multiple plot lines that crisscross and twist. And with 100 words, there's obviously not room for that. And so you can't tell it all. You have to edit and pick one simple plot line. I used to be like this before. Here's how I met Jesus. And here's the after, all right? Use common language. Sometimes we Christians love to use our Christianese. And as fun as those great words are to us, they're completely meaningless to a world far from God. And so words like salvation, born again, I accepted Christ, 
Those are very meaningful terms when understood, but if you've only got 100 words, you don't have time to explain terms. And so try to find words that everybody understands as you seek this abbreviated version of your story. Here's another principle. Find your key concept. Every story has a key con- Again, they all involve before and after and Jesus as the defining moment. But <clears throat> there's a key concept, a key expression, a key flavor that's unique to you. Let me give you some examples, and this should become clear. Maybe your key concept is broken to health. I was messed up. Wow, wow, was I messed up. And the Lord has brought health. Maybe it's guilty to forgiven. Maybe your key concept is works to grace. I used to think it was all about trying to earn God's love, impress him with my behavior. And then I discovered it's a gift, a free gift that you don't earn at all. Maybe for you it's success to significance. I had achieved a measure of success and it wasn't satisfying my heart. And then I found God and his kingdom and now my life is about significance. Maybe your story is lonely to loved. Maybe your story is tragedy to rescue. In my case, I would say my key concept is religion to relationship. Uh, Want to hear my uh, story in a hundred words? Actually, I, d- I didn't even use them all. I, my story in 99 words. Here we go. All right? <clears throat> this is not profound. I, you know, some of you have the, I was a drug dealer and a mass murderer, and now I found Jesus. My, I got none of that. So I'm a little embarrassed about the lack of drama. But it's my story, and it has changed lives in the telling. So I'm going to keep telling it. Ready? Here it is. I used to be sad. I mean, I used to be a sad, melancholy young man plagued with fear and anxiety. And my Christian faith wasn't helping me. I thought at the time Christianity was about going to church, obeying the rules, believing the right stuff. In a word, I thought it was about religion. But I was actually missing the point. True Christianity isn't about religion, it's about a relationship. Jesus came to offer everyone friendship with God, getting to know God and enjoying his love has changed everything for me. Living with God is now filling my heart with joy, peace, and a passion for life. Now, even as I read that, some of you are like, I've heard you say those words before. You're right. I've told this story hundreds of times, and I'll keep telling it until I'm on my deathbed in prayer that somehow my story may have impact on others. Friends, again, it was really hard. The first time I did it, it was 250 words. And I'm like, no! And I kept cutting and kept cutting. And that painful editing process was so good for me. And I challenge you to do the same. All right, here's another principle. Oh, how about another example? You know, here's a, a... more, I'm not going to call myself an old man. 
middle-aged guy uh, telling his story. At least I'm middle-aged compared to this guy. How about a 96-year-old man telling his testimony in less than 100 words? And this 96-year-old man happens to be the greatest evangelist in world history. As you know, one month ago, the great Billy Graham passed away and went to be with the Lord. Here he is at 96 telling his story in less than 100 words. But to me, I was a member of a church, but I hadn't really come to Christ. From the very beginning, I was reared in a Christian atmosphere. My father and mother both were Christians. By the time I was a teenager, there came an evangelist out of town, Mordecai Ham. I remember I got under such conviction. And one night, they gave the invitation to receive Christ, and I reluctantly went. But I really meant business with the Lord. I came just as I was, with all my sins, all my failures, and the Lord received me and changed me. That has transformed me till this day. I've never been the same. How many times do you think Billy Graham shared that story? Thousands kept sharing it till the very end. And God used his simple, he doesn't have any mass murderer side of his story either. Simple and yet powerful and used by God just as the Lord will use yours. Some of you, your story is hidden. It's never been shared. I think that's a sin. Jesus calls us as he called that demoniac on the Sea of Galilee's shore. Go and tell what I have done for you. And so friends, do it. Here, let me close with one more story, all right? Here's another old, older man. His name is Norm Miller. Norm is now 79 years old. When he was in his middle ages, he was successful by the world's standards. He is selling batteries, car batteries, and selling a lot of them and making a lot of money. People would have looked at Norm and said, wow, you're doing great. But he knew his life was imploding. He was hopelessly addicted to alcohol. He had two DUIs, and he was panicking because he couldn't stop. He, at that low point, confided in a friend of his and said, what do I do? And his friend was a Christian. And his friend said, Norm, you can't change. You need Jesus. You need a power from God that you don't have. And uh, Norm uh, wasn't, at that point, ready to take the step of faith. But Norm got pulled over by a cop while drunk for the third time. Now, somehow, he says, I squeaked out of getting a DUI, but my heart was pounding with fear. And on the side of the road in the car that day, he cried out to Jesus and said, Jesus, I need you. I can't do it. Forgive me. Save me. Rescue me. Norm found a church. Norm found AA. And Norm's life was transformed by Christ. And he had the guts, the humility to just tell his story. Wherever he went, he'd say, you have no idea how messed up I was. Let me tell you. And in the humility of describing his own addiction, and crumbling life, he saw God use him again and again and again and again and impacting other lives. And he became a believer in the power of storytelling, of testimony, 
because he saw how his own worked. And then at 70 years old, nine years ago, he got an idea. He said, what if I started a website that was nothing but videos of people telling how Jesus had changed their lives? And he started what's called I Am Second. Maybe you've heard of it and seen it. It's just hundreds now, I think thousands. Uh, It started with all celebrities telling their story, and eventually it just became anybody who wanted to tell how Jesus had changed their lives. And uh, the idea is that God is first in my life now, and I am second. And do you know, over 10 million people have been profoundly impacted by I am second. 10 million, that's like Chicagoland. Unbelievable, the impact. One guy, ordinary guy, uh, just believing. I think storytelling is really effective. Let's see if we can change some lives. You know, he's sitting in this little white chair that's kind of iconic for I am second. Every testimony is a simple video of them sitting in that chair with a little light bulb over their head. Simple. Here's how Jesus changed my life. Now, I don't know if your story, maybe your story should be on I am second. I don't know that. I do know this. It should not be hidden. You've got to tell it. You are robbing God of glory by not telling people what he has done and is doing in your life. So prepare it and share it. And maybe even this week, someone's going to say to you, why are you so religious? And you're like, well, I wouldn't exactly say I'm religious. Uh, how would you describe it then? Well, let me tell you what I am and why I am that way. And boom, there you go. A 99-word version flowing out with God's Spirit backing it, and who knows what impact it'll bring. Reveal your story. Shall we pray together? God, I thank you for my friends here, and I thank you for the stories that are represented in each of our campuses. God, I pray that the stories, thousands of stories of the Compass Church alone would go out in this coming season. And as our stories go out, God, I pray they would yield shocking fruit as far as changed lives, lives changed in Christ. Would you give my friends courage? I know some writing words is just something we don't feel comfortable with. Let them try anyways. And God, bless their efforts and give them the words to tell their simple story and give them opportunity to tell it. Thank you, Jesus, for changing our lives. Help us tell others how you did so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.